As Jesus was facing Jerusalem and a long trek to get there, he visited with the disciples as they traveled, and that's where we find a great number of the parables. So, if you come today wondering what you might be reading this afternoon, I'd like to suggest the verses ahead of our scripture reading today. The triumphal entry is the topic, and it starts like this, after Jesus had said this. What does that invite you to do? It says, well, let's discover what he said. <laughs> okay, so you can go back and read. It's one of the parables. Thank you for standing. The triumphal entry. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the, down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thank be to God. So we all know it's Palm Sunday. And following my wife's advice, I'm going to talk about Palm Sunday. Yeah. Palm Sunday is the sixth and final Sunday of the Lenten season. It is also the first Sunday of Holy Week. 
a week in which we observe the astonishing development of events that begin with Jesus being cheered and celebrated in what we call the triumphal entry. And then we recall his trials, torture, and crucifixion by Friday. Within a space of five days, Jesus went from being cheered to being crucified. While Palm Sunday is often thought of in a festive way, we need to keep in mind that there was something very troubling and serious happening as Jesus entered Jerusalem. And as we consider our scripture passage, I want us to focus on three things. The crowd, the Savior, and us. But before we get into that, let me describe the setting of the passage. During Jesus' time, Jerusalem had twenty to 30,000 residents. However, the day we call Palm Sunday took place at the beginning of Passover week. This was a holiday in which the Jewish people celebrated God's deliverance from Egypt, the birth of their nation, and their freedom from bondage. It recalled the first Passover when the Jewish people placed lamb's blood on the tops and sides of their doors so the angel of death would pass over their dwellings as he slew the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. Some scholars believe that up to 150,000 pilgrims traveled to Jerusalem for Passover, swelling the number of people in the area to almost 180,000. Imagine trying to rent a room with so many visitors in town. That would be worse than Estes Park in the summer. All right. Many of the travelers may have stayed in nearby villages or camped in available areas outside the city. So this was the festive environment in which the crowd formed as Jesus rode to Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. Many of the people knew about Jesus. As he made his way down the Mount of Olives, a celebration broke out. Luke 19, verses 36 through 38 says, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Matthew 21, verses 8 through 9 reads, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! So far, things are going well, aren't they? Jesus came so that men could know the only true God, right? He came so that all people could enjoy a relationship with God, didn't he? And look, the crowds of people are following him. They're cheering and praising God. This is what Jesus wants, isn't it? Okay. (laughs) But wait. Wait, there does seem to be a problem. 
on the Mount of Olives outside the city. As Jesus looks over Jerusalem, he begins to weep. Luke verses 19, verses 41 through 44, describes the event like this. And when he drew near this near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Whoa. The crowd is celebrating Jesus, but Jesus is weeping. And there is more than just a tear or two running down his cheeks. According to the meaning of the original language, Jesus is crying out loud. At first glance, it is puzzling that Jesus can be so upset when so many seem to be coming to him. But Jesus knew what was in their hearts. Which brings me to my first point. Many are drawn to Jesus because of what they want rather than what he offers. I'll repeat that. Many are drawn to Jesus because of what they want rather than what he offers. Apparently, the expectations of many in the crowd were misguided. According to Ray Vanderlyn, who has spent much of his life studying the lands and cultures of the Bible, the word Hosanna that the crowd was shouting meant, Please save us. It had become the cry of the Jewish zealots who wanted freedom from Rome. This was a revolutionary cry. He points out that the palm branches were symbols of Jewish nationalism. Vanderlyn contends that many in the crowd were crying out for Jesus to free them from Rome. He goes on to say, in response... Jesus wept. The tears of Jesus, the tears Jesus shed as the people cried out their political hosannas were tears of grief for the hearts of his people. Jesus foresaw the terrible devastation of Jerusalem that would result because the people did not recognize him as God's Messiah. The people were looking for a Messiah who offered political deliverance and a political kingdom. However, they would have nothing to do with the Messiah who offered forgiveness and deliverance from sin. In his grief over their distorted beliefs, Jesus wept out loud. The crowd was drawn to Jesus because of what they wanted rather than what he offered. Now, to be fair, there may have been those in the crowd who wanted other things as well. In John 6, Jesus addresses a group who tracked him down after he fed over 5,000 people from just five barley loaves and two fish. Listen to part of the dialogue between them and Jesus. This comes from John chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, When did you come here? 
Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Do you think there might have been some people in the crowd like that on Palm Sunday? People who hoped that somehow Jesus would satisfy their appetites, provide them with things that would make them comfortable in this life. If so, they were not much different from those who cried out for political freedom. They too were drawn to Jesus because of what they wanted rather than what he offered. There may have been a third type of person in the crowd as well. There may have been people who wanted to be amazed or entertained by Jesus. John 12:17 through 18 informs us that the reason the crowd went to meet him was they heard he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Pretty good trick, right? In Luke Uh-oh. In Luke 23:28 we are told that Herod Antipas hoped to see Jesus perform some sort of sign. But if there were people like that in the crowd, people who were drawn to Jesus to be amazed or entertained, they too were drawn to Jesus because of what they wanted rather than what he offered. Whatever the motives and desires of those who were in the crowd, it is clear that Jesus was grieved. He knew that most, if not all of them, just didn't get it. And he knew that by Friday, many of them would be part of another crowd, crying out the words, let him be crucified. Nevertheless, Jesus kept going. He rode into Jerusalem. So we've considered the crowd. Now let's look at the Savior. And here is my second point. The reason Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day is because of his love. A pretty simple point. But it's pretty amazing if you think about it. Most of us can quote John 3.16. says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Did you get that? It is key. God loved the world so much that he gave his Son so that we do not have to perish Instead, we can have eternal life. Jesus knew what was going to happen. Listen to what he said to his closest disciples in Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 33. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that was written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked, and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Nevertheless, because of his love, Jesus continued down the Mount of Olives. He rode into the city knowing he was going to die for this crowd. For those who thought freedom from Rome was what they needed. For those 
who wanted him to satisfy their appetites or make them comfortable in this life. For those who simply wanted to be amazed or entertained by him and for those who would shout for his execution on Friday. He continued into Jerusalem knowing a close friend would betray him, but he was willing to die for him too. He continued into Jerusalem knowing his most vocal supporter would deny him repeatedly, but he was willing to die for him too. He continued into Jerusalem knowing that when he was crucified, he would endure the punishment for all the sins of the world. He rode into Jerusalem knowing that he, God the Son, would bear the unbearable pain of being forsaken by God the Father. He rode into Jerusalem to die for you. He rode into Jerusalem to die for me. He rode into Jerusalem to die for everyone who ever would and whoever has lived. Can we even imagine that? What an extravagant and determined love. The words from the hymn we sang this morning are appropriate. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. But now we come to the hard part. That, that wasn't hard enough, right? We have considered the crowd and their desire. We have looked at the Savior and his love. Now it's time to focus on us. We need to decide how we will respond to Jesus. And here is the third point. Even those of us who are Christians need to answer this question. Are we drawn to Jesus because of what we want or because of what he offers? I don't think our modern world is different from the crowd that accompanied Jesus into Jerusalem. People are continually crying out to whoever they think has the authority or means to help them. We hear it every day. Free me from whoever or whatever I believe is oppressing me. Provide me with adequate food, health, housing, or health care and housing. Give me the means or opportunity to indulge in the things that I enjoy. I think too often even Christians are like that crowd. We want Jesus to free us from whoever or whatever we believe is oppressing us. We want him to provide us with adequate food, health, or housing. We want him to give us the means or opportunity to indulge in the things we enjoy. And we do need to trust God for all things, but are we coming to Jesus for what we want while missing what he offers? I wonder about myself. I don't, as I was preparing this, I had to wonder about myself quite a bit. Does Jesus lament over me saying, Would that you, Dean, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Think about it. If we had access to all we wanted in this world, if all our dreams came true, would we have peace, really? 
maybe for a couple minutes. And then somebody would think of another reason to be upset. Yeah. Jesus knows ultimately nothing in this world will give us lasting peace. Jesus knows that what we really need comes from beyond this world. It is the presence of God himself. And in the most extravagant and determined display of love ever, he makes a way for us to have it. Matthew 1.23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus in our lives is God's presence offered to us here and now. The thing from outside the world, the very thing that we need, is offered to us and available here and now. And in John 14, verses 1 through 6, Jesus said to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to myself, that where I am you may be with you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way offered to us to enjoy God's presence forever. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem with a broken heart. The crowd was drawn to him because of what they wanted rather than what he offered. Nevertheless, because of his love, Jesus continued down the Mount of Olives. He kept going for them and for you and for me. In the most extravagant, determined display of love ever, he gave himself over to death on a cross so that we would have the choice of being with him forever. So what is our choice? Will we simply cry out to Jesus for the things we think will make our lives better here and now? Or will we cry out to him for what he offers, a chance to be forgiven, a chance for new life in Christ, a chance to enjoy God's loving presence forever. He offers us himself, the thing that makes for peace. This is the part of the service. I always want people to have a chance to respond to the word of God. And so the music team is going to come up, and they're going to sing, And Can It Be? After that, I'm going to offer a benediction. But I want everybody to know, Christian or non-Christian, that the altar is open this morning as we're singing. If there's anybody who wants to pray, please feel free to come up and pray. And keep in mind the question, are we coming to Jesus because of what we want or what he offers? What he offers is so much better. It will last forever and ever. What the world offers, it really won't give us the peace that we're looking for. And as we're seeing, 
I want to invite you to feel the amazement woven into the lyrics of this hymn. The extravagant, determined love of Christ is amazing. It's just amazing. Amazing.